I'm Kerry Adams and you're listening to Kerry's Connoisseurs coming to you from Solid Gold Podcasts. Here we talk to the movers and shakers, the drinkers, the dreamers and all the people who make it happen in the liquor and luxury industries from around the world. Well, hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kerry's Connoisseurs. Today I've got Rudolf Trick in my studio with me. He's the winemaker at Doheim, and a few weeks ago, Leanne Sutherland, who does a very, very good job for, of PR for Doheim, I might say, sent me an email and then followed it up quickly with a sample of the most delicious wild ferment Chin and Blanc. So I'm speaking today to you, Rulof. First of all, welcome and hello. And secondly, we're going to introduce you and your Chin and Blanc. Hi. So, thanks for having me. And you were sick last week. We were supposed to do this last week. Are you feeling better? Yeah, much better. I literally, Thursday, Friday, I slept practically the whole day. And that's combined is probably more sleep I've had in the last three years. Because I've got two (laughs) toddlers, a one-year-old and a three-year-old. So I feel like I should schedule a a two-day sleep. Yes, get flu once a month. (laughs) Once a month. I think that's the best thing that can happen to me at this point in time. Tell me how, quickly, before we go any further, how's your harvest going? Because I've got you slap bang in the middle of of the 2023 vintage. Wow, full speed. It was actually quite funny because we'll start with the Pinotage Jose end of January, maybe the first week in February. And when we did our samplings, I was like, okay, now we're a little bit earlier. But what got me was a mate of mine, another winemaker down the road, Dave Finnison. Yes. He's just like, yeah, just go check your Chardonnay. Just for interest sake, I was like, I'm not going to pick it another month. Did the sugars, I was like, uh-oh, okay, <laughs> this harvest is real. But you've had hectic heat in Cape Town, haven't you? I don't know what the winelands have been like, but Cape Town has been sweltering. Yeah, I actually want to call it Durban weather, where really? it's been humid and it's been very hot. And that obviously increases the disease pressure and, and, and. I was going to say that humidity is not good for our grapes. They don't like that. You're going to get a bit of frotties in between there, I think, eh? Yeah. But, I mean, the upside is we're harvesting, I want to say, let's call it a week, 10 days earlier. So the whites, especially the the cultivars that tend to rot quicker, they're coming in sooner. So um, it's a very interesting vintage. Have you picked the bulk of your whites already? What's in at the moment? All the Chardonnay's in. We'll finish up with Sauvignon Blanc today. Tomorrow we'll climb into Chenin Blanc. Gewurztraminer, I'll leave a little bit later because we can. Yes, we want want the nice, you know, Mm, sweeter flavors. mm. So let me tell everybody a little bit about Rulof because he's no stranger to the wine industry. He's been making beautiful wine for a long time. You were born in Bloemfontein. We'll forgive you for that. How did your parents end up in Bloemfontein? They're originally from Joburg. Before I was born, they moved to Bloemfontein. Um, at that time, my dad worked for Bangfin and my mother was a lecturer now then at the University of Free State. Um, yeah, I don't know why they chose Bloom. I think when they got there, there was maybe one restaurant. <laughs> Listen, it's quite nice to be in a little one-horse town like that. I haven't been to Bloemfontein for a long time, but I'm sure it's no longer one horse. And I'm sure that there's lots more going on in Bloom at this stage of the game. Are they still there? Yeah, well, it's funny enough. They're both into politics and my mother's in Parliament, so they've got a place in Cape Town and Bloemfontein, and I let you have to pick up the phone. Oh, like, wow. Where are you today? Okay. Like, okay, no, they're in Cape Town, so... Okay, so we've got somebody very important now. Politics. Who wants to go into politics in their Odach? We want to run away a million miles away from politics. <laughs> <laughs> we want to drink wine and talk to winemakers. Exactly. 
So you grew up in Bloom and then you went and did your viticulture and your enology at Stelly's, at Stellenbosch University. And I know that you did a vintage or two with Kevin Arnold, who's a very dear friend of mine. And for everybody else's knowledge, he was an owner and the winemaker at Waterford for many, many years, also at Rist and Freda, wasn't he? But you must have done it at Waterford yeah. with him. It's actually an interesting story about Kevin. So we both went to St. Andrews. So yeah. he's an old boy. And that was kind of my connection to go harvest at Waterford. Mm. And then fast forward 15 odd years, one day I was just sitting in the cell and I was like, hang about, wait. Kevin started at Dalheim, went to Ristenfelder, ended up at Waterford. I literally started at Waterford, went to Ristenfelder, ended up at Dalheim. So I literally did his life. I'd forgotten that Kevin was... Like Mr. Delheim, when I first came into the wine industry, Kevin was at Delheim. I'd forgotten that. Until you see it on paper, because I was writing almost like a blog about my career, and I was just like, hang about. Yeah, that's like, actually that's, quite, that's oddly that's quite familiar. Tricky, actually. So you went, it you went, it wasn't on purpose, it just happened. Sometimes the universe spins anti clockwise, you know, you just never know. You also did your. Um, as you mentioned, one of your internships at Rist and Freda. And who was there at the time? Kuni. Yeah, yeah. Kuni. It was, I started at Rist and Freda in 2010. I wasn't actually in the tasting room in 2009. And then it was kind of that switch over from Ernie House and Rist and Freda breaking apart. Then, you know, Rist and Freda Garden Peak was one yes. side and Ernie House was on the other side. It was Kuni at that time. And I worked with Kuni for five years as assistant and then I became winemaker of Guardian Peak, Cirrus, Stellenbosch Reserve, Donkey's Pie. It's a fantastic stable to be in and a huge, huge amount of experience at what I think is quite phenomenal in South Africa because we've got big wine farms. It's easy to make a few barrels of nice wine. It's not so easy to make thousands and thousands of barrels of nice wine. So that whole Rist and Freda, Ernie Else, John Engelbrecht had Donkey's Bio as well. I think it was another, and Guardian Peak. It's a big, big stable of wines to be looking after. And it's just getting bigger as well. I know, <laughs> I know. What's the guys. new, what's, what's, um, Louis Stradom now doing something? He bought. Yeah, Louis got, uh, Stalinzacht. Stalinzacht, That's and right. And he's got Altu and Ernie Hulls. And I'm not 100% sure if they're making other labels yeah. within that at the moment. Um, but, I mean, they've got the capacity. It's, it's quite a big operation. Who did Louis Stradon buy that with? Because there was some it's, – it's not Ernie anymore. Ernie sold, hey. Ernie sold his wine. I can't give you the exact details. I think there might be shares because I kept the name, Ernie. I think it was an American consortium or something like that. I seem to remember. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's a German Baron von Lichtenstein, something like that. I don't know, something very... Oh, my God. There's this German who's been set loose in the Cape <laughs> Winelands. I need to meet this man. <laughs> he's buying up my entire industry. I think he's the same one. I think he yeah. bought a whole lot of other stuff as well. He's buying... I think he... Didn't he buy Chamonix as well? I think it's the same German. It, I mean, it could possibly be. I think we're going to have to get some Achtung on the, the go money. there and tell this man to just slow down a bit. <laughs> Although, why not? If he's got lots of money and a passion for the South African wine industry, why not? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it's got something to say. If people are willing to spend money in the South African I wine know. industry, it means that there's definitely positivity I know. coming I mean, out. really, for all of us, who wants to farm in Africa at this stage of the game? You remember that I had a farm in Africa that Karen von Blixen, she said, 
Well, we all wanted a farm in Africa, but it's not so easy to have that anymore. Yeah. You went on to Rustenfreda, and then after that, you went from there to Delhan? Yeah, so I mean, I was under the John Engelbrecht umbrella, so it was Rustenfreda, then Garden Peak with the sub labels, and then from there to, to Delhan. Yeah. And how long have you been at Delhan for? This is my fifth vintage. So practically five years. That's amazing. It's a wonderful family. You know, the Sperling family, I don't suppose they need too much introduction at this stage of the game, but Spat Sperling was one of the building blocks of the South African wine industry. You know, they started so many things, so many initiatives that we now take for granted in the South African wine industry. But his his children are running the farm now because sadly Spat died a few years ago. I think it was about three years ago. How long ago did he die? Was it more than that? 2017. Yeah. It wasn't all that long ago. It was the year just before I showed up, yeah. So did you, you never worked with him? I never worked with him, no. Apparently a lot of people tell me that's a good thing. <laughs> he was quite a, a general. He was difficult. Eccentric as all hell and difficult, but such fun. And I suppose you've got very big shoes to fill because you also... There's some sort of signature wines that come from Delheim that you simply can't slip up on, like Edelspatz. You can't not make Edelspatz. Are you going to get some Botrytis this year? You know, with this Durban weather, the chances are probably good. Mm. Um, again, it's very humid. But you know what it is? Um, I think because we came out of the drought, so there was a, a gap uh, 2017, 16, 17, 18, they just started getting Botrytis again, then 19 when God rain. I think that was one of the best Botrytis vintages yeah. I've ever worked with in my life. And I'm talking about I've worked in Sauterne where it literally it's fields of purple. Oh, that was it. I know. I think once you get that sort of biomass in the vineyards, it kind of knocks onto your next year as well. And as long as the conditions stay kind of constant year on year, I'll just probably get Botrytis. Let's explain to the listeners how you make this one because it's, it's still a complete and utter mystery to me. Even having studied and made some myself, it's a mystery to me yeah. that we get this delicious nectar out of a shriveled up little grape. It gives me, it gives me hope as I grow older and I get lots and lots more wrinkles that you can still produce something gorgeous <laughs> even when you're old and wrinkly. Tell them how you make this absolutely delicious nectar of the gods. You know, a lot of winemakers say it's the vineyards, it's the climate, and it's all made in the vineyards, but particularly this one. If you don't get Botrytis, you can't make noble late wine. No. I mean, that, that's an equation that you can write in stone, take yeah. it to the bank. Um, it is what nature gives you. But how we make it, I've, I've always noticed in South Africa, our noble lates are very, very sweet. Yes. If you taste our turns, it tends to be a lot low on the RS. I mean, they bottle in 750 balls, so you can drink the bottle. Yes. Um, so I've I actually, I've taken more of that approach. We use Vice Riesling, probably should mention that. Mm. And so what we do basically is, I think if you show the listeners a picture of Botrytis, they'll be like, there's not a chance I'm drinking that wine. The grapes. <laughs> Listen, have you seen disgusting. that thing that grows in the bottom of a bottle of kombucha or whatever, and the whole world's gone <laughs> mad drinking kombucha? I'd rather drink that. I'd rather drink your, your Edelspatz, thanks. Yeah, so, I mean, you bring it in, the vineyard, it's, it's almost a grayish purple. Mm. They're right. It's like a mole. It's a fur coat on the grapes, ah, essentially. Ew. <laughs> so you bring it in. You bring. I mean, when we did it small scale in France, so it's like crates that you throw into this tiny press, and every every time you throw a crate in, it's this like cloud Poof, fungi of that goes. Mold. Yeah, it's horrible. And you literally. It's just like oh, it's disgusting. 
So we do the same, our presses are slightly bigger, so it's not, it kind of gets contained on the inside. We use a very special yeast that doesn't really ferment into alcohol just yet. It's just so that it can break down the cell walls and protect it microbially. And we leave that for 24 hours to 48 hours till we have a sort of a, it looks, how do I explain, almost like it's, it's got like a, a glaze on the, on the skin. Yeah, it looks like a, it looks like a reduction that you might pour over a roast duck or something, doesn't it? Exactly. But and firstly, then, how long do you leave those grapes on the, on the vine for? What sort of belling do you pick them at? Here's the thing. I've picked in March and I've picked in June. Wow. Same block. So it really, again, it's one of those, the vineyard tells you when you're going to pick this. Mm. The vineyard tells you, okay, we're making Noble Eight this year. Mm. Um, but I, I technically look for about 36 bricks, almost, let's call it 12% alcohol potential. Yeah. Which gives me a lovely balance and I get to about 180 RS at 12 alcohol. Wow, okay. Uh, between 160 and 180. And then uh, because it's high reasoning, I get such a natural acid, mm. which balances it out much better than mm. if I had to use sulfur or semion, which is great. So mm. I think it's it's such a versatile cultivar for Noble late. I think a lot of more people should do it. And it makes it very easy for men slowly. It, it's actually funny. Sometimes we're done with harvest. Uh, two months later, we pick. And then the whole team's like, oh, <laughs> and it starts all everything. Dirty and it's sticky. You don't make it every year, but you do make you do make spots and drink, hey, which is natural sweet. Yeah, it's not noble um, late. Spots and drink, we, it's not noble late. Spots and drink is kind of, you know, it's it's we always get some vineyards that give us a little bit more sweet here, Shannon or a Muscat, or mm. so we try to play around with that. Um, we have the idea to take it back to what it originally was in the bean, where it was just really, I wouldn't say off dry but semi sweet, where yeah. you know. It's a bit too close to the edel spots at the moment with the sugar level, so we, I think we're just going to go back mm. to having it semi-sweet. Anyway, I interrupted you. So now we've got this lovely sort of glazy type consistency in the tank. And then what are we doing? Oh, no, in the press. So this is still oh, in the still press. Oh, we're still in the press. So, yeah, we're still in the press. Mm. So now okay. we have to – and it's whole bunch. That's so the stalks, everything. Um, good luck trying to put that through a destalker and, <laughs> and pump the <laughs> – uh, so we do a whole bunch, we leave it over 24 hours, sometimes 48, and then we press it. And then we get this weird syrup, gray, black syrup that you'll be like, again, I'm not going to drink that. Yeah. Then we ferment it. Do you have to inoculate with yeast or does it yeah. have wild ferment? It, it, can, it, it can go naturally. The only problem with sugar is everything wants to eat that sugar. Yeah. Any and every sort of bacteria, yeast, whatever's in your cellar, they want to eat that sugar. So it's, it's, a, it's a high risk. Mm. And I think. So you control it you know, rather. Mm. I, I'd rather control it, and then I can, you know, set the temperature and the tempo, and, and use a yeast that that can handle the sugar and the alcohol at yeah. the end of the day. So you know, um, yeah. when what, if you get stuck ferments on high RS, oh no, that's just that that's a nightmare. Yeah, and then how long do you allow it to ferment for? Do you stop the fermentation process? Yeah, yeah. So I'll stop it at about 12 and I look for a, a, a decent balance. So if I see the RS is about between 160 and 180 mm. and the ethanol is 12 and the acid is 7, 7, 8, then I'll be like, you know, this is actually well-balanced taste. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I'll stop the fermentation. I'll cross-flow the filter, the sweet stuff. So then it takes out all the yeast and the lees. So I've literally got this clear golden syrup that I then put into barrel. So we're fermenting. Okay, so we've fermented. Once the balance is there between the RS and the alcohol, uh, then I'll 
stop the fermentation via crossflow, which is just a very fine filtration system um, that takes out all the yeast. Again, <laughs> when you're sitting with 180 grams of sugar, everything and anything mm. wants to eat that, and it will start fermentation again. So we mm. get the wine completely mm. clean, and then we put into barrels. Uh, I use two to five liter French oak barrels, older barrels. Um, I just feel I, I want the vessel. I don't really want new wood or anything that the sweet yeah, wine is, is so aromatic and so dark. Why would you want that French terroir into that? That doesn't make much sense. No, I know. <laughs> I know. Then I want to say I leave it for 12 months, but it's anywhere between nine and 12. It's one of the most high risk wines you have in your winery. Even opening it up to tasting it, you're allowing some sort of microorganism back into the barrel. I know. And then what we could end up with is, a, as you say, a secondary fermentation. Then we could end up with Vice Riesling Noble Lake Bubbly. Exactly. Um, which wouldn't be, which it's wouldn't not my be favorite. advisable. <laughs> and then, yeah, so, I mean, we've been lucky. I think we've been getting close to nine, 12 months year and year out. Uh, from there, we'll take it out. I'll give it a, a little touch of bentonite just to stabilize it, uh, protein stabilize it. Um, and then that goes to bottle from there. Uh, again, through a sterile filtration because you don't want something happening in the bottle. It makes you marvel all over again at the sublime, the unbelievable beauty of those sauternes in France. Yeah. They are so refined and so delicate and so pretty and so beautiful. And when you know how hard, it really is labor-intensive, the sticky wine business. Mm -hmm. It's very labor-intensive. And you know why it's so expensive? South African sticky wine is way too cheap. As far as I'm yeah. concerned, if you, if you do the we numbers, we should be charging a lot more for our. How is a lot more? I don't think people understand your average recovery. Or let's use apples with apples of white wine. You would get about sixty to sixty-five percent recovery. That's now obviously yeah. from weight to juice. Uh, with mm. Noble, I get twenty-five, thirty percent if I'm if lucky. You're lucky, yeah. yeah. So yeah. You, gotta, you have a lot to make a little. And no, no, it's, it's, you should really, we should be charging a lot more for that. The Weisser Riesling vineyard that you use for that, is it quite an old one? Because it's yeah. always been Weisser Riesling, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. It's the oldest block on the farm. It's called the office block, which, because it's right next to the office. Um, <laughs> very creative. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, somehow, I don't have facts and evidence for you, but somehow I believe that just adds to the fact that we get good noble. I think young blocks come in. Know, almost fresh and clean with no sort of idea what's going on, but these these old advisory thing block. Everything old is nice. You'll get to you'll get you'll get <laughs> to realize everything old is nice. Help me. So I'm busy talking to you about sticky wine because I love sticky wine. I could drink it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And as you say, if it's made the way you make it, where it's not too sweet, and that sounds stupid because sticky wine is always sweet, but we know what I'm talking yeah. about. It's not sickly, cloyingly sweet. It's delicate. It's, it's refined. It's pretty. It's viscous. It's so aromatic. It's so delicious in your mouth. You just want to drink that whole bottle. In fact, if you put it into a magnum bottle, I could finish it in a day. And everybody thinks it's going to make you drunk and give you a terrible hangover, and it doesn't really. The alcohols are not that high on that wine, are they? We've got a, a, a very weird idea of sweet wine in South Africa sometimes. I think you explained it. It, it doesn't have to be overly sweet. It just has to be mm -hmm. in balance. Um, mm. You don't want to pour the bottle and it looks like syrup coming out. You no. Know, that, and then you have that little no. tot. It's got to be, you know, if you want a period of the meal, you want more than two sips at least. <laughs> so You want a whole bottle. 
exactly. I want the whole bottle I to mean, myself. We was uh, somewhere in Barca in some chateau and we did a, a five course wine pairing at Chateau Cote. Oh. And we started with, okay, which I understand the French, you know, you start with, uh, chateau, uh, with, uh, sauternes, with foie gras, whatever it might be. And then, you can, and we just had noble late starters. Did you? And, it, and you was it delicious? You didn't even, it, you didn't get that sick, sweet fit. It was just, you went through the whole meal really? and was beautiful. Oh. And I mean, I tell the story a lot to people like, sweet wine is actually not a dessert wine. I know we call it a dessert no. wine. Yeah. But you should be able to drink it through your entire meal. Oh, no. I agree with you 100%. And it really does bring out, I think, some of the best in food. Oh, yeah. I always try and encourage people to drink sweeter wines. And when I say sweeter wines, people who don't drink wine as a general rule, and if you think for yourself, I mean, when we first started drinking wine, we all, we all started drinking, what was it, autumn harvest crackling or something <laughs> it was all it, <laughs> terrible oh, stuff but we drank it and it was sweet and it gives you an idea in your head of the the flavors and the aromatics that come from grapes that then help you to distinguish going forward which ones you actually like better so i think a lot of people talk talk dry and drink sweet I know I do a lot of the time. I used to because I used to be embarrassed to say I love demi-sec bubbles or I love I love Edelspatz or I love Chateau de Came more. I, I do. I love sweet stuff. There's a time and a place for dry stuff mm. as well, but that sweet stuff is just gorgeous with food. But I'm rabbiting on about the sweet stuff. I actually called you to speak to you about your wild ferment, Shannon Blanc, because that's an old vineyard. Yeah. In fact, I think it was planted the same year you were born. Am I right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. So to me, to me, it's very special. <laughs> you know, anything planted that year has to be good. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. So it was planted in '86, um, and when I started, yeah, the wild ferment wasn't old vine. It was a mixture of a different vineyards on the farm, but. When you start fermenting every parcel separately and you realize, you know, these old vines have a story to tell. Um, I always describe I old vines as kind of like, you know, you get that uncle or that aunt or whatever at the campfire or at the table that just has the best stories and everyone just sits in awe and listens. <laughs> That's really what old vines are. Um, yeah. But I have to be honest, old vine doesn't equal good wine. This block not just, always. Not always. This block just happens to be amazing. And it really, you know, we say old vine is 35 years old, but I feel like some vineyards at the age of 20, 22 just kick into that, that next gear. You know, mm. sometimes it takes mm. longer than 35 years. Sometimes it takes 40 yeah. years. You'll, how do I describe this? It, it goes from just this linear Shannon. I'm using Shannon as an example mm. to this broader. I always call it like an oily type of wine, but people crucify me mm. for that. But that's my descriptor. It just no, I agree with it, you. It just it, it it goes from walking in line to going the other direction. You know what I mean? So yeah, no, it becomes walk. sort of Rubenesque. You know those sort of those very fat little cherubs that they painted on the ceilings of chapels and things. There it goes go. from being a skinny, drawn, anorexic thing to a little Rubenesque type girl or a. Fat cherub, but that's what it is. It's that's exactly loads it. of character. That's exactly it. Yeah. And it's and again, I mean, like I said, we we classified old vine as thirty five years in this country, but a vineyard at the age of twenty that's been allowed to grow its roots deep into the soil and hasn't been hindered or you know struggled or um, it can it can get you the same sort of result a bit earlier. Um, 
Yeah. But I think this this block is just it. For the five years that I've been here, it's always just been that one block that's so different. It happens to be old vine, so I'm assuming that has to be the reason. And it was one of the first. It was one of the first certified old vine blocks in the country, I think, if I remember correctly. But when I tasted that bottle, just so that everybody knows what we're talking about, you use the word balance a lot, and it comes through hugely in your wine. Yeah. It really, really does. This Shannon Blanc. It's called Wild Ferment, hey? That's what yeah, it's called. That's what it's called, yeah. And it's the 2021 release. Correct. That we're talking about. And it's just been released now. So it's available in stores if you want to go and get some. But I don't think there's loads and loads and loads of it about. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you what that wine tastes and feels like. I love Chenin Blanc because it, it's, um, it's sort of fruit salad-ish for me. So it's never really one thing or the other. I get mangoes and pawpaws and pineapples and gooseberries. However, this wine, it's reminiscent of green and white fruits for me. It's quite steely for Chenin Blanc, which I love because it reminds me of Vouvray a bit. Mm. You've got oak on it, obviously, somewhere. You've either got oak or you've put it on the leaves for some time. I don't know. I haven't looked at the analysis sheet. But it's got this unbelievable purity of fruit on it. Terribly, terribly clear, bright, light fruit. It's beautiful. It's really beautifully made wine. I, I was so excited when I tasted it. I haven't drunk it ever before. I've never drunk that wild ferment, Shannon. It was delicious. So, yeah. I mean, look, again, maybe because it's the same age as I am, I put more attention to it than any other wine. But no, um, <laughs> that white fruit, I, I love that. That's kind of my, oh. my direction when I think of Shannon. That's where I want to go. Um, but yeah. every year, you know, I sit with, um, she was then my assistant. She's now a winemaker. Noni, you can't just do the same thing every year. You've got to go, how can we make this wine better? Oh. And you know, what, what's missing? And we're at the point now where it's about, let's say, argument's sake, uh, 30% is in concrete egg tanks. Okay. The remainder is in 500 liter French oak barrels, um, all third full or older. Um, I was going to say, must be not first fill because it's not yeah. apparent. It's just there. New wood has a place. I'm not against new wood, especially in reds. But there's something that I hate is when I open a wine, pour it, and I smell mm, these are limousine barrels, or you know, mm. it's, that you can identify the actual oak. That's this is, dreadful. This is French terroir, <laughs> you know. Um, I'm going to say this, and uh, I use this a lot. I don't know who said it or when they said it or whatever, but I'm going to claim as if it's mine until someone tells me, no, this is actually X and Y's. Um, but yes. for me, oak is the bass player in a band. When it's playing, you don't hear it, but when it's not playing, you miss it. That's what oak should be. Uh, and even, it's so and, clever. And That's even, absolutely what it is. Exactly, and even more so in South African wine. When we've got amazing fruit, amazing terroir mm. to showcase, don't go and hide it behind French oak or whatever oak you might use. Oh, but you yeah. know, I do agree with you. I think that you boys, though, you're all part of a new wave of winemakers, and thank goodness we evolve and we're we were given brains, and we can learn and we can experiment and we can find out what's good and what's bad, and we don't keep on making the same mistake, because I think. Wine from South Africa, certainly when I was living overseas, I came back and I tasted South African wine and I was so horrified. It was so oaky. Mm. There was such terrible misuse of oak. And I don't think it was done out of anything other than a desire to try and 
as you say, maybe be more French, uh, maybe emulate those people who have made these unbelievable wines for hundreds and hundreds of years. I don't know. But you boys, there's this whole new wave of, of you young winemakers who have changed the face of South African wine so beautifully. And I think every time I taste, there's, there's very little shitty wine out there at this stage of the game. If you think of it, yeah. most of the wine that I taste, and I get millions of bottles sent to me every month, I taste almost everything that ever gets bottled. Um, there's very little that I wouldn't have on my table. You're making really nice wine. But every now and again, something just sticks out. And that Chenin Blanc, it's like white. I don't know if we get them in this country, but there used to be a thing called a Bartlett pear. It was a specific type of pear. And it made the prettiest, prettiest blossom on the tree that you've ever seen in your life. They might have been English pears. I don't know. It might just be somebody, maybe one of my listeners knows. But, and those Bartlett pears were part of, I think, the pears that went into tins. When mm. we were little, we used to get tin pears, tin peaches, tin guavas. And I think it was Bartlett pears that went into those tins. And it had such a specific smell and taste. And that's what your Chenin Blanc reminded me of. White, pure white pears with this nice. beautiful hint. I don't know, frangipani maybe. I don't know what I was smelling. I don't know what I was picking up on it. But it was Bartlett-y pears, this white, clean fruit. So how many bottles, how many cases of that wine did you manage to make? So, I mean, it's a single block vineyard, so we're quite restricted in how much we can make. Uh, yeah. So the 2021, I think we've managed to get about 8,000 liters. So that's what 12,000 odd bottles. That's not bad. Yeah. So it's it's not a lot, but if you think in the global context, that's you know the shop in the UK gets six bottles. That shop. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> you know, so, I suppose you're sending it all overseas, you bugger. <laughs> no, we do, I think we've got a good spread. I think uh, we've got a good local following as well, which is great. Um, it's always nice to have. Your home, your home. If I team. was to ask you, what's your favorite wine to make? What would it be? Oof, I can tell you off the bat, I hate making sweet wine just purely because it's a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> and you make it um, so beautifully. That's out of hardship comes enlightenment. That's what sweet wine is. Mm. You know, I always enjoy the, the thing with the wild ferment is I want to claim that I make it, but it's really like I shove it into tanks and Close them up and say, go with making God, itself. it's making itself. So um, I will intervene if I see it's going in the wrong direction. But it, it, I think you discipline it from time yeah. to time. Uh, I mean, like, again, you know, if we had to talk about old vines, um, the comparison I always give people is young vineyards are really like school children where you have to send them to school and guide them in a direction, hope to God they turn out right, where <laughs> old vineyards… Especially now. Especially now. Um, <laughs> old vineyards, again, it's like that… They've seen many winters. They've been around the block. They've got so many stories to tell. So let them tell the stories. Let them do the wild fermentation. Yeah. You know, those roots are deep. The fruits mm. is more intense. Um, no, I love making that. Uh, but you know, I'm sort of sucker for, for, for red wines, especially Cabernets. Uh, I know. And you're, you're on a farm that is very well poised to make some of the best Cabernet in the country, really. Exactly. That terroir where you are. Um, it's just absolutely gorgeous. So, what red wine are you making? Uh, the Grand no. Reserve. Well, right now, right now we've only got the Merlot coming in today. Oh, I lie. Our Pinotage is already in and dry. That's dry even before we get a wine. Oh, really? Uh, that stuff ferments in three days. 
it's not one of my favorite wines to make. <laughs> it's just hard work for. Tell me about the pinotages that you're all making, because I'm, I have, honestly, have apologized to pinotage, publicly and internationally. I've apologized to pinotage, because I was really very, very rude about it, about thirty years ago. And I think with good reason, it was horrible. It, it was, was really horrible. And we all know what the boys in Stellenbosch were trying to do when they made Pinotage, but wow, it was just dreadful. Now, however, there's just so many Pinotages that are tasting quite ronish. Yeah. So, they taste, hey, they, they don't taste like those sticky, jammy, acetic kind of hot Exactly. Sweaty red berries. So there's... They're tasting lovely. There's now the new school or the new wave, like you probably mentioned earlier, the young winemakers. Um, the one that seems to be quite popular uh, is the whole Roni carbonic or gamet, carbonic maceration style. That's it, yeah. Um, and then there's, you know, there's what I'm doing where, you know, you, you take a step back and you and you look at the parent material, if it now is the truth, I'm hearing some of the different stories, that Pinotages, Pinotage, and Sinso Amitage, those happen yeah. to be the two most delicate cultivars on planet Earth. Why do you want to make a Cabernet out of it? You know what I mean? Exactly. And why put so much oak on it, as you say, exactly. you can't taste? And Hermitage is, isn't Hermitage Shiraz? Exactly. Where I come from, Hermitage is Shiraz. It's not. So it's it's pretty much the the Rhone varieties, the Sinso. So again, I I, I can understand. You know, South African, we like big red wines. Um, (laughs) And if you had to take a a snapshot of Pinotage thirty years ago into what it's now, it's chalk and cheese. It really is. No, it was almost crammed into the bottle. That stuff, (laughs) and you had to like pull it out. The guys that can't get it right, Canoncorp, that still make these big. But Aubrey, we pray to Aubrey at night. <laughs> um, so That's how good he is. Hats off to them. But I feel like, you know, there's so much delicacy that you can get out of Pinotage um, by not yeah. having eat the hell out of it um, yeah. Yeah. every two hours. And, you know, and, and I, I feel like we're picking maybe a, a half a balloon earlier and we use things like enzymes so I don't have to thrash it. I can now literally ferment yeah. it. I can do, uh, for argument's sake, four to five pump overs or punch downs a day instead of every two hours. And I can preserve yes. all the elegant side of pinotage and put that into a bowl. And, and it is. Your pinotage is very elegant. It's pretty. It's like a ballerina. It's very, very pretty. It's got long skinny legs and it stands on its toes and it quivers a bit. And that's a far cry from what those big fat cloddoppy horrible pinotages used to be so you say your pinotage is in already and it's in barrel yeah it, it really is it's always the funniest thing of the season is i have a dry red before a dry white or rosé it ferments in three wow. three to four days and it's done and it comes in roughly because it's dry land uh it ripens a little bit faster than the other pinotage that we use for and rosé. Rilof, do you cold ferment do you cold ferment your pinotage um not not to the extent that it's for a very long period of time. I do like to keep it nice and cool. Mm. But, I, you know, after <laughs> I've tried to ferment that stuff at 15 degrees south, it will ferment in three days. Pinotage will ferment in three days. You can write it. In and maybe world. it needs to. Maybe that's what's stopping it from having that throaty taste that so many of those old pinotages, maybe they left them fermenting for yeah, too long. I mean, yeah. Again, like, I mean, I can't speak for the guys that were making wine 30 years ago, but uh, I'm assuming mm. they, they definitely mm. – pro- my 
opinions that probably approached it like Cabernet to really extract, extract, I'm extract. sure. It was um, red and it was quite big and it was prolific and it was ours and it was nice and let's go, you know. So that's that's Pinotage. Um, your Grand Reserve, five-way blend. It's not a, a set blend. It's going to always be Cabernet dominant. Clearly, I mean, when the Simonsburg Cabernet is it, it's king. Have to be. It has to be. <laughs> um, you know, the nicest thing, and, and that's why I joined Dalam actually, for Cabernet and the Grand Reserve. Yeah. The briefing, I think that's the right, Opdracht briefing, mm. for the wine was just make the best damn wine you can make from our property. Whether it's one barrel, where it's 30,000 30, litres, that's all you have to do. Um, and it, it's not going to take long if you taste the Cabernet. You're going to be like, okay, this is this is going to be the, the backbone. It's going to be... The, the hero of the dish. Yeah, it's got to be the skeleton that you yeah, hang exactly. all the clothes on afterwards. And yeah. then, then we play around with Petit Vidot, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, um, and it will vary from year to year. Some, I mean, I, I, I hate it when South Africans, when we get stuck on, it has to be 60, 30, 10%, you know? Oh, yeah, Year in, year out, or whatever it might be. If your Cabernet is better than, or your Cabernet Franc is better than your Cabernet, then make the Cabernet Franc the hero of the dish. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, you know, we play around, and I, I'll be honest, I get a lot of my other winemaker friends around when we do the blending. Just, we, I have to make sure. I want to come and do that blending with you one year. Oh, definitely. I can remember when I first came back and got into the South African industry, Tim Hutchinson from Douglas Green, Burlingham in those days, DGB, he was the agent for Delheim. And for my birthday, he gave me a bottle. I must think carefully. I think it was a 1982 Grand Reserve that must have been made by Kevin. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who was made. It must have been Kevin who made it. No, no, it was definitely Kevin. Kevin made the first one. I think actually that um, 81 was the first one. So it was definitely Kevin. It was 82, I think. Yeah. So it's OG. And I was absolutely blown away it was one of the most beautiful bottles of south african red i've ever it's a red blend from south africa that definitely flies under the radar everybody we need to shout about that wine from the rooftops because it's it really is super smart wine yeah i mean the funny thing about it is locally 400 bucks or 500 bucks a bottle of wine it sounds very expensive as soon as you go over to europe the commentary is if you really can't afford the best Bordeaux, here's a bottle of Grand Reserve for five hundred for less than nothing, <laughs> really? and it punches at the same weight, you know. So yeah, no, definitely, uh, it, it makes it difficult. You make a standalone Merlot, a Pinotage, Grand Reserve. Right. You don't make a Shiraz, hey? Or do you? Well, we used to. Um, that now goes into uh, Shiraz Cab blend, um, more for the you know lifestyle range, more accessible. Yes, uh, and then we obviously have a standalone Cabernet. Yeah. yeah, and then from there, it's the Grand Reserve and the VC Pinotage, the very crisp Pinotage. Yes. And then, this is now for the Reds. Uh, we have, we're playing now with some experimental single vineyard blocks like the Cabernet, Franc. Uh, we've got a block of Tempranillo we planted for global warming purposes to see if it's That's actually nice. going to make a difference. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, let's not go down that Global too. warming is a bit like bloody plastic bags that they've done away with. You know, I'm sure there are biodegradable plastic bags. Instead, we have to go to Woolworths and buy these material bags. I now have a bag cupboard in my kitchen that's worth about two and a half million rand. Because every time I go to Woolworths, I forgot to take 
last week's Woolies bag with me, exactly. so I buy another one. Yeah, and I've got bags and, and then, then bags. you don't want to throw it away. Oh, man. It's a bit like global warming. It all gets on my nerves, quite frankly. Mm. I know we have to take cognizance, but it's a bit annoying. We've got tempranillo that you're never going to make a, a straight tempranillo. Well, that's the same. Sure. We've got a little a single vineyard release that we're going to do, about a thousand bottles. I think it's just so that people understand the terroir a bit more because when you buy the Cabernet, it's almost a mix of different Cabernets. Now we've isolated yeah. a block and a block of Cabernet Franc and the tempranillo. And then the idea is, you know, every year or maybe next year we'll do Petit Verdot. So it's just a thousand bottles. Yes. It's just, you know... Yes. So you get, you understand It's nice to be able to do what you want. It's nice. Expenses they give you a free to do as you want. Is yeah. Nora listening? <laughs> yeah. No, uh, we've got a good understanding. We've got a great vision of what we want to do and what we want to achieve. We're starting to, I mean, when Dalam really started making wine commercially, we had to make everything for everyone because those were a handful of wineries. So you would just make everything for everyone. Fast forward now, we are, Focusing on certain lines, especially if Cabernet would be one of them, Grand Reserve, Edelspatz, Chardonnay, Surly, um, the things that, you know, we can do and we can do extremely well. So we've got to stick to We can do thing. everything very well in Stellenbosch. That's the thing. You know, we're all jumping around, shouting about other areas in the Cape, which are good, but we have to concede that Stellenbosch is the capital of winemaking in South Africa. It really, it really, really is. Are you into your 40th or 50th vintage at Delheim at this stage of the game? Must be. Well, not my 40th. <laughs> but not yeah, yours, yeah. darling. Not no, yours. No. Uh, no. Actually, no. We've been making wine now for the last 83 years. But I think the Spurlings. Oh, the Spurlings. The Spurlings. Spurlings there yeah. must be about 40 or 50 yeah, years of, of making yeah. it. It's an amazing track record. Rudolf, your wild ferment Shannon is extraordinary. It's just beautiful. And I would urge everybody to go out and try and find at least a bottle. There's not a lot out there. But do try and go and find a bottle. It's it's well worth whatever the money is. How much does it cost a bottle? Oh, I didn't want to say it's probably about 180 Rand. What a steal. Oh, so cheap at the price. Go and buy a case, in fact. I just wanted to say, let's make it 300. Let's <laughs> just release. It's not the price now. It's, it's a... This is where Nora gets us when we off this interview and says, that one 500 rand a bottle. No, but I mean, you, if, you, if you can't get it in the shops so or you struggle, then just get it online. It's on our website. Okay, I was going to ask, is it on the website? That's fantastic. We love you. We love the wine you make. You're part of that brave young army of... Venus warriors who are changing the face of South African wine. So thank you very, very much. And until we speak again, good luck with your harvest. Yeah. We'll chat some more. And I'll definitely keep in the loop when we do Grand Reserve blend. Actually, awesome I want to, to come here. and blend. Yeah, I'll yeah, yeah. fly down and come and taste. No, 100%. Oh, I'd love to. I will definitely thank make you. a note of this. Okay, my sweetie. Thanks so much for your time. It's fun talking. Bye. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. 